Well, hello there, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clark-Moore, and today we're going to be talking about 2009's animated sort of classic, Coraline. This conversation does contain plot information for the movie, so please don't be mad if you hear spoilers. Also, we do keep the explicit tag on this show in case of language that may not be suitable for all listeners. I genuinely don't remember if there is any such language in this episode, so let's listen and find out together. With all that out of the way, let's get into it. I had all sorts of intentions to introduce my next guest, but then due to a dramatic twist of fate, <gasps> I have two guests. Two of them. And oh, I'm no! super excited about it. We'd actually talked about having the two of you in together uh, before, and now it's just happened. Yep. Which is amazing. <laughs> like not, not 20 minutes ago, I was, was telling Tom to that, hey, you know, we need to book this soon. So I don't know what I'm doing. I'm off book. Oh, God. <laughs> I've lost do control. Want, do you want us to introduce each other so you don't have to worry about it? No, this? it's okay. So I want to welcome back for the third time. Third time. Third time, Mr. Yep. Tom Stewart, host and creator of Liminalia. Welcome back, Tom. I'm glad to be here. And for her second appearance, I'm not going to tell anybody who was booked and who wasn't. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just leave that up to... I rarely wanted... <laughs> And back for her second episode after previously discussing Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Welcome back, Nami Lee. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here spontaneously out of the blue. No! Oh, no! no! I gave it away! Ah! <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God. Now the chair is shouting. We said the word for the day. <laughs> all right, well, you've both been here before, so you know the next question, although one of you was not at all prepared to answer it. Let's break the ice with the usual question. We'll start with Tom, because I like going left to right, and that's how you're sitting. <laughs> what have you been watching on Netflix recently? Uh, well, Dylan, did you know that currently there are alien bases on the moon? I did what? <laughs> <laughs> because, like, literally, that's all I've been watching. There's um, like really, really horrifyingly crappy documentaries about aliens and Sasquatch on uh, Netflix, and that's mostly what I'm watching these days. That's um, amazing. Yeah, I. <laughs> so I'm specifically talking about a wonderfully terrible one that nobody should watch called Aliens on the Moon. Um, the Truth Exposed. <laughs> I actually wrote that down to make sure that I got the exact shitty title for this one. That's brutal. Um, yeah, it is awful. And it's a bunch of really grainy photos where it looks like maybe there's rectangles on the moon, but that couldn't be geological, so it's got to be aliens. Of course. Um, I really like watching these things because <laughs> there's like a portion of me that's still a 10-year-old boy that thinks, oh my god. Just a portion? There's There's probably aliens on the moon. And then I can also feel really smug and think, no, but there's really not aliens on the moon. I'm at once better and worse than the actual <laughs> audience this is intended for. Now, every once in a while, you just have to put on a, mm -hmm. a trash documentary like that. There's one, I don't know if it's still on there, but uh, my wife and I were just like, you know what? We've got alcohol. We've got Netflix. Let's watch nice. this documentary. It's just called Bigfoot. And I swear <laughs> to God, the opening shot is... It's uh, it's like a snowy forest, and you hear this like drum music, and it's just drum music, and you're like, that's kind of that's okay. strange. And then you realize it's because the person they're interviewing has set up a drum kit in the forest or on the edge of the forest. I have seen this one, and he's trying to like that's he's how he communicates with <laughs> Bigfoot. Amazing. It's so that one good. ends with them going out in the woods in a costume to try and find a Sasquatch. What? It's phenomenal. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that and the first half of Bright, which is about as good. Um, that's what I've been watching. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Watch the first half of Bright. Hey, I, I, I watched the that. whole thing. Oh, so. That's dedication. <laughs> um, I got to be careful because my wife kind of enjoyed it. But okay. I will say, so the <laughs> no, whatever, say what you want. <laughs> you don't have to hold back. But 
apparently a lot of people really liked it. So, I mean, I only saw the trailer, and yeah. I, I didn't understand yeah. half of it's, it. And so It's a cool concept with a shitty execution, is yeah. the way that I see it. They're like, fairies it's, and orcs in the real world yeah. could be dope. Mm-hmm. It's a but, filmed version of Shadowrun, um, and that's kind of a cool idea. It's just... Yeah. Whatever you say, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what those words mean. Yeah, in me that <laughs> I had a lonely high school existence. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. Okay, Nami, how about you? What have you been watching? Oh, Please God. elevate this conversation. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm, I'm about to go deep into nerd waters here. And, nice. Uh, over Christmas break, um, I really liked to rewatch the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition trilogy. Nice. And Netflix recently took down The Fellowship. So, you know, I, it's not complete, but I've been rewatching Two Towers and uh, I'm just on the beginning of The Return of the King. Like, I, I, I pause and then I go and do work because I feel guilty <laughs> about sitting on my ass right. for three to, you know, yeah. whatever hours. Even, even when it was on there, it was so weird because they had Fellowship Standard Edition. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then Two Towers and Return of the King were Extended Edition. Yeah, it just made weird. no sense. Yeah. Like, what licensing agreement did you <laughs> figure out that led to this happening? You also watched Crown 2. Oh, yes, Spooky that's right. Boogaloo, Season right? 2 of The Crown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Return Which, of the Crown. Uh, it took way too long for those corgis to show up. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really The important it. things to watch for. Exactly. I have priorities. Well, that's enough about our collective viewing habits. The movie that we're here to talk about this episode is from the year 2009. From director Henry Selick, we're going to be talking about Coraline. For the first time in a while, Netflix is offering two different descriptions. So oh. we've got three people here, so now we can vote. Yes, and actually Pick our have a tiebreaker. Exactly. <clears throat> so first, when you hover over the title, it says, Life always seems better on the other side. For this little girl, it's gloriously true until she wants to turn back. That's option one. Okay. Option two, when you click on the title, it says Curious Young Coraline unlocks a door in her family's home and is transported to a universe that strangely resembles her own, only better. Mm. Neither of them are great, specifically because they don't use break on through to the other side as a joke <laughs> in, in them. Um, the first one's not bad. Really? I prefer the second one. I think I prefer oh, the second what? one. What? what? You've been... <gasps> I'm sorry, you have to leave now. <gasps> in the cold! <laughs> It's so chilly out. I just feel like the first one's sloppy. Until yeah. she wants to turn back from the other. Like, it seems from, like they're almost oh. mixing metaphors. And it sounds like, almost like they she's gone through the transformation that she's threatened with and, and like, has to turn back. Like, it, it oh. does. Yeah. I don't know. Whereas, I, like, I, thought, I think it kind of, you know, sets up the, like, the actual conflict, which is the, like, True. her realizing that, you know, all these things that she took for granted were actually things that were very important to her and that kind of thing, but... Right. The second one doesn't imply there's any kind of conflict here, right? No. Films aren't about conflict, though, are they? <laughs> no. No, it's just about a girl who, like, goes into a fantasy world, and it's better. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and the movie is also described as imaginative. Imaginative. Yeah. Which I would okay. absolutely say. This. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I'm not about to argue. Are there any you. other ones for it, or just imaginative? No, I stopped doing the uh, the categories, because oh, okay. it was like... Movies for 8 to 10 year olds. Oh. Movies for 11 to 13 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> movies based on Neil Gaiman books. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd watch that. Uh, okay, so uh, without saying who it is, no, whatever. Uh, so, Tom, mm-hmm. since the big reveal has already happened, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Nami. Nami. You're what? welcome. <laughs> what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Um, so, Tom, this is the movie that uh, that you brought to yep. the metaphorical table, although there is actually a table in yeah, front of us. We, we've properly tabled this movie now. Aww. In this beautiful space at Platero Visual. Um, so you you brought this movie to the table as something that you want to talk about, so justify your actions. Why did you <laughs> want to talk about Coraline? <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, so I genuinely really like stop motion animation i've always liked it ever since being a little kid uh specifically just as the style of animation it's kind of rare to find full movies that are in stop motion animation that aren't really terrible <clears throat> corpse bride um <laughs> but um this is one that i actually really enjoy um i have not read the novel though so i feel like i'm a bad nerd coming on this and talking to you i read it. the first chapter because okay. it's sitting on my bookshelf <laughs> and then i was like ah, reading 
Why would you do that when you can watch this it? This is a movie podcast. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, so uh, it's just, it, it's good. You like it. I mean, it's, good, it's, it's I pretty. I really enjoy it. It's pretty I'm, on brand for It for is you. very on brand for me. Um, and I actually, it's, it's a movie that I always meant to get around to. And then I only watched it for the first time this summer. So um, I've been really excited about it ever since then. I think I texted you about it actually this summer and have been trying to, have been planning to talk to you about doing a podcast on it for a while. So, yeah. Right on. And I can't really ask you the same question. Why did you get dragged into this? <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because when Tom was watching this movie for the, f- not for the first time, but... um for the second time prep- preparing for this podcast, um, I was there and I got to rewatch it and I had only just seen it maybe a month or two ago prior and I really, really loved it. I hadn't heard, I mean, I'd, I'd heard about it and I think I'd seen trailers but only vaguely remembered them and I was really impressed. I, I didn't know what to expect going in at all. In fact, I think I was afraid of encountering a kind of Tim Burton-y sort of corpse bride or or even something more like nightmare before christmas which is so you know is so present in the cultural like zeitgeist that i i just i i didn't know if i was gonna love it but i really really did so i'm glad that i'm I'm glad that you guys ended up talking about it and i was more than happy to participate kind of impromptu in this conversation it's interesting because both of those movies that you just mentioned the two tim burton ones kind of they end up putting aesthetics over the actual plot or fulfillment of the film Mm -hmm. i find um whereas this one i don't think is quite as susceptible to that i think that like stop motion animation quite often falls into that trap because so much love has to go into every single shot that they try to do these grand aesthetic things with it um and this one seems a little bit pared back yeah okay i'll (laughs) <laughs> I, I think I come down on the opposite side of that. that Do you? Interesting. I feel like the movie's greatest strengths are visual. Okay. And that in terms of justifying doing a project like this, like the plot does its job. Yeah. But I'm not coming away from it being like, holy Jesus. Coraline, <laughs> Coraline is the greatest female character of our time. Right. Like it didn't, yeah. it didn't rock my world or change my life, but I saw things that I'd never seen before. That's I would agree point. with that. Yeah. I think that to a certain extent, the plot would work best not as a book or as a movie, but as a video game in the sense of the quest toward the end of it where you have to get the three things so feels I, very video game. I literally had the same thought and I, I checked it out and there is a Coraline video game. And apparently it's trash. Oh no. Like the, the, the platforms they originally put it on, they didn't end up porting it to other platforms because uh, the reviews of it were so oh piss poor. There's also a musical now, apparently. I found this on the internet when I was Googling this. So that's cool. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I'm not mad about that. No. no yeah. It's very broad spectrum. So that's kind of cool. It did. Yeah. It did get pretty video gamey when they're like, you have three items you need to collect. Mm-hmm. Now, please play these three levels, beat these three <laughs> bosses. And, Remember, and I think it was time is running out. You only have two quarters of the moon left. Yes, yeah. Exactly. And, but they, don't, they don't even set up that rule that there's yeah. a time limit. And then there's just like, there's like the eclipse. And then you're like, oh, the eclipse is a button. So I don't care. <laughs> I think the point of it is supposed to be that it's fairy tale-y mm. where you have to go like quite often these, those old kind of European fairy tales you have to go and do certain things you have to help the chicken with fox in order to get the chicken to cough out the key in order to open the door right. that'll lead you to the tower etc right. but it just it in this day and age with a new text that's not the lens through which I was looking at it. I was looking mm. at it as a video game, mm. um, not Where as all probably rules are made explicit. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Not as probably what like a writer who came up in the eighties was thinking of it. Yeah. You know, I got to say, I had a hard time parsing out the quality of the story actually from the quality of the animation. Um, all it is visually so beautiful. I mean, even if you forget that it's stop motion animation, um, even like in the beginning when she's in her like quote unquote real world. Coraline, the colors that she's dressed in and everything, they're so vivid and beautiful. And then the rest of her world is kind of this gray wash. And it's stunning, just purely from like a, you know, photography direction point of view. I just think it's so beautiful that I, and I'm always kind of dancing back and forth in watching this movie from following the plot and how the characters develop and so on. And then noticing all these beautiful little things and so, yeah, I actually find it hard to analyze which is which takes precedence right. in this film. Yeah, and yeah. I, I see this as 
a flaw in myself in terms of how I watch movies that I have a hard time just appreciating it for a visual art form, like just film in general. Like I use my wife as the example of the opposite that for instance, like she can watch Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland and be blown away by it. I cannot do that. No. Yeah. So I mean like this, this, the the spectrum I put it on is like, can I watch this sober or do I have to be high to really appreciate <laughs> it? <laughs> but I mean, like that that's where this is on, and this this mm. like leans more towards the I'd like it more if I was blazed. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I get right. that. I think that it's a film that appeals to me as like a nerd who really loves horror. Neil Gaiman is so constantly writing with one eye on the gothic and on horror that like it's so on brand for me that I think contractually I have to love it. Um, so that's that's Otherwise my explanation for doing so. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm not allowed to work at, at doing the job that I do if I don't love Coraline. Something interesting that I heard through the grapevine about Neil Gaiman in reference to Coraline is in talking about this, he said that adults are more scared of Coraline than children are. Oh, that's so interesting. That, that kids, is really interesting. That kids watching it or reading it are just like, okay, it's a world and there's monsters and other mm. mother. But then like for adults, there's it's more of a kind of traumatic experience. And I right. I felt that at the very opening of the movie. Yeah. Because that, that opening sequence just does a lot of really cool stuff. I'm talking about when the... Uh, when they're creating the doll. Yeah. So yeah. when the one doll flies in through the window or yeah. hovers in through the window and you're seeing it get pulled apart and like yeah. disemboweled and yeah. i was like jesus christ <laughs> like, like what is that because I, I don't know if i'm like my you know my empathy centers are over firing or or what i don't know how but the this mechanics thing that of looks empathy like work. it's a human yeah, even though that, it's not yeah this <sighs> thing that looks human gets like literally disemboweled and turned inside out and you're just like oh god what is happening <laughs> But then there's this kind of switch that happens where, like, you know you're supposed to be creeped out because, like, this thing has, like, weird, long, skeletal, yeah. Skeletal, but also, like, metal spidery sort of fingers. Like, it's almost like an Edward Scissorhands kind of thing Mm -hmm. going on. Where these really inhuman-looking fingers start working on it. And it, when whoever that is starts creating something different with it, the opening sequence is no longer about like the horror of seeing a child's entrails becoming their extrails. It's now about it's a celebration of craft and mm-hmm. the the creation of a new beautiful doll, and it yeah. ends up being this kind of like almost a like a meta comment on the craft that's going into the movie itself. Yeah, that's just, exactly like, so. That's what one of the things I find really interesting about the movie is that it's so interested in. Like because these are puppets, it's stop motion animation. They are manipulated puppets to create every movement that's going on in it. The film is really fascinated with teasing out puppetry and teasing out how we emote through and kind of identify with puppets. So I think like what you're talking about at the beginning is like is is really fascinating because like the skeletal hands are supposed to be the other mother when she gets revealed to be the spider that has the kind of skeletal legs, spoilers. But at the same time, it's really clever because those skeletal metal limbs are what the the base of the puppets look like. If you look at the um, making of um, for these puppets, they are just that clad in a kind of clayish foam. And those are the manipulatable joints. So they are like... It is an actual skeleton of a puppet that is creating this puppet. Yeah. They're really fascinated with kind of like playing with how a puppet appears on screen and how we relate to them. Yeah. And that's where I, I would say that my reaction to Coraline as a whole is more one of appreciation than enjoyment. Yeah, I can but agree But I can with sit that. back and be like, there is no question that there is craft and artistry mm-hmm. that went into creating this, but I'm not bronzing it and putting it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's also some like about the kind of creepiness of that because it it is really cool watching it. Um but it's it is a little bit creepy and yes there's the kind of like uh metaphorical disemboweling, but there's also I find really I always find really creepy um seeing the like skeletal hands like they look like instruments of torture. Mm-hmm. They look like instruments that could be used to exact violence. 
but then seeing those instruments do such refined and delicate work is really unsettling for me. Like, it's like you say, it's very Edward Scissorhandsy, And like, similarly, you know, you see Johnny Depp wielding these gigantic blades, but with a lot of finesse. That's something that always creeped me out about Edward Scissorhands too. And I feel like it's just kind of, you know, juxtaposing these different kind of sensory stimuli on purpose to just kind of weird you out. And I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, as an adult, because you develop all of these associations with different things, that might be why it's more likely to creep you out than if you're a kid and maybe, I don't know, have a more open mind because you haven't formed those associations yet. Yeah. So often it's the like the little details that are the creepy things for, I think, for adults watching this movie. Like, it's the eeriness of the care she puts into yeah. making that doll. Mm-hmm. That's... Well, I mean, there's like the, the spooky Tim Burton music going on as yeah, well. Yeah, that's at the true. Same time. Yeah. With I the, with the made-up language. Danny Elfman-y. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate that you started off being like, here's a whole bunch of reasons why it's not Tim Burton. We're just yeah. like, it's so 18 Tim Burton, Tim Burton references. <laughs> um, I liked what you said about how this is about dolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, now I'm thinking of when Coraline starts to go back when she's not supposed to, like when the other mother isn't expecting her, and you start to see like the de- deterioration yeah. of the dolls yeah. and how like when you don't have the upkeep of this craft, like, mm-hmm. shit starts to fall apart real quick. I mean, like, if you don't care for textiles properly, then they do fall apart. That's and it such made, a good point. It it's made, when she's not paying attention, then, yeah. Yeah, it made me think of um, this really horrifying image. Do you know the movie Labyrinth? I haven't seen it. Uh, I, I, I know famous parts of it, but I have never seen it fully through. Okay, do you know the character Hoggle? Does that mean anything yes, to you? Yes, yeah, uh-huh. I know. Okay, so I have this computer in front of me, so... <laughs> So Hoggle is the, I think, yeah, it's a Jim Henson. It's this Muppet. And the puppet of Hoggle kind of disappeared. Oh, interesting. And it ended up turning up years later in somebody's, like, airport luggage. Just out (laughs) of nowhere. In a really kind of decayed form. Looking like that. Oh, God. So for anybody who hasn't seen this, I'll include it in the show notes. Please take a look. um, Yeah, I mean, you can see what this what at the time was this probably like very revolutionary sort of puppet character who seemed if not real then real enough to interact mm-hmm. with Jennifer Connelly um and then you see it kind of decades later i guess this is in 2006 just like this maggoty piece of shit just completely decayed and yeah. so that's what your comment made me think of is just how you know all like if you think about the props of Coraline like those puppets probably look like shit now. Yeah, they like, were, yeah. No matter how amazing they looked at the time. And probably half of them have been thrown out. I think that like the film plays a lot with this idea of creating art through puppetry. Like there's the 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 other father when he's playing the piano, the piano is playing him right. um, in order to create the music um, to make him sing better than the father Coraline has back at home. Um, there's a lot of like weird stuff going on yeah and when he's driving the grasshopper thing yeah. at the end like the the oh, instrument right. of death yeah uh, he's not driving it it's driving it's him, driving him and he's he even like yells like i it's not my fault i she's making me do it and he's turned into a, a pumpkin which is the other mother's term of endearment for him so in oh. many ways he's been puppeted by the other mother um Right down to, of course, the buttons on his eyes, which are a kind of doll-like thing. So, like, I think I agree with you in the sense that the plot is really thin on the ground, but the level of craft that has gone into a lot of the different stuff that's going going on in it is really fun. So, I, like, I think that this is kind of similar to the last movie that I did with you, The Daily Earth Stood Still, a far crappier film, um, where, like, I think that you and I kind of agree on it but our takes on it are different because we're we're looking for different things in it like i'm being the guy who like writes on this kind of stuff i'm looking uh at it for like what can i use what's clever in it <laughs> i don't care about if the movie's good just what's what can i use from it and pluck from it um whereas yeah like it it's it it is the the story it has to tell is not a particularly interesting one but it carries it through with really fascinating visuals. Yeah, I found that it was more, when it comes to story, that there were things that every once in a while I was like, oh, yeah, I like that detail, as opposed to being invested in the whole 
yeah experience there are those two um speaking of puppetry there are those two downstairs neighbors the uh the kind of retired performers (laughs) um the actresses yes um and they're uh, what are their names april and miriam um in the kind of other world um they have this really elaborate set with lots of um, like stock backgrounds moving back and forth. Um, at the beginning, I forget which one it is, but you know, one of the two um, appears as part like in a kind of fish encasing. Turns out to be a mermaid, and then both of them kind of unzip their full body human suits and turn out to be these very young, slender uh, acrobats. I wasn't going anywhere with this, <laughs> but that it's just like a very odd moment of like what is going on beneath this puppetry, you know? What like how oh, how does this puppet mechanism actually work um, in ways that can kind of entertain, but also sometimes surprise, astonish, and maybe even scare us as as um, viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the more unsettling scenes is to yeah. watch them like peel off their suits of themselves. With hundreds of dogs watching, it's a very odd scene. Yeah, and I got into a weird, I don't know if it quite crossed into body shaming or if I'm ready to put that label onto it, but Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like the actresses themselves, like the idea is that they're, they're old and they have like their, their bodies have aged and they're no longer in, you know, quote unquote screen shape Mm -hmm. or stage shape. And that's just kind of like a sign of them being, I don't know, not current performers they're retired yeah yeah they're retired and they've been eating stale candy (laughs) um but then they they really play that up in the other world is that what we call it yeah the i I think it's the other world the Um, other world the other that's what we'll call it at least okay sure the other world um where like they're really playing up their their more robust bodies like the uh the woman who's who's like character trait is that she has large breasts like they're all over the place and she's wearing this very skimpy outfit and like her she's almost knocking herself out like yeah i was a little bit surprised that like an american child audience would be that this would be given to an american child audience because she like she's just got pasties on but i think it's like i don't know I, i i think it's in a way a part of the other world is really oddly conservative where the the regular world isn't oh. eh? like i think part of the creepiness is the conservatism like the mother Coraline's actual mother doesn't cook her father cooks and she cleans the dishes one of the defining characters of the other mother is that she can cook these amazing meals right. that's all you mm. see her doing because as it turns out she's a monster that just eats but yeah. um like there is a kind of weird cons- weird conservatism where like they try to seduce Coraline with a world that is more right or more comfortable, but that world is just a an oddly Reagan-esque conservative world. Yeah, and I, I think maybe that's what they're doing with the skimpy outfits that they're like, hey, look, they're like really comfortable and they're showing off their bodies, but don't worry, zip, they're actually, they're actually attractive. thin and beautiful mm-hmm. underneath. And maybe that's what we're supposed to be repulsed by. But it's also like it's trying to make you uncomfortable in the first place. Yeah, exactly. they're trying to have it both ways. So, and I think that's one of the problems with the movie is that they, they want to criticize conservatism, but then they'll do things like put in a male character who's not in the book, YB, in order to help Coraline out when in the book she just solves all her problems on her own because she's an he, exceptional child. Is he not in the book? No, no YB's he's not. Totally made up. Yeah, why oh. these totally made up. Oh man, up. new levels of significance to the whole why born thing. Yeah, oh. I, yeah, I think that's a joke they're intentionally making, but yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm learning things. Yeah, yeah. Like, but then they're it's... also like, "Hey, we're adding a random character. Let's at least make him a person of color." Yeah, and you're so, like, "Okay, well, yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, okay. One in column A, one in column B, I guess." Yeah. 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 Column Y. Yeah. <laughs> Call him YB. Bam. Ew. Jeez. We got real far on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I mean, you started talking about kind of the differences between the real world and the other world. I, I had mentioned earlier that there were some, like, small, maybe not that small, maybe I'm just patting myself on the back, but there are some details that are just underneath the surface that make the movie more consumable rather than just watchable. 
Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that really stood out to me is the, uh, the I think, pretty underplayed like economic situation that they're in. Yeah. In that uh, the very first thing that you see any of Coraline's parents do they leave a really cheap tip. Like, they, they tip the mover just $1. Oh, yeah. right. And the guy's really disappointed. And so you're just kind of, like, not on Team Coraline's parents right from the get-go because you're like, that's oh. rude. Um, I thought they did that deliberately because the movers did such a shit job <laughs> at oh, moving that. their stuff. And when the truck <laughs> opened, I was like, none of that stuff is bound up or organized or sorted into boxes. What are these movers doing? Is this amateur hour? And that, that kind of, like runs underneath the surface and like it doesn't really come up again until you see them talk about uh like Caroline's parents talk about selling their book and yeah. how they seem really focused on selling this book and it's mm-hmm. it's quietly there that it's actually out of economic necessity yeah they're really right. hard up yeah for like money. they're really hard up for money like they're sharing a house with four or three other like kooky individuals none of whom and one trans-dimensional being yeah <laughs> like you do um i think Coraline's mom also too shops for her school uniform at a discount yeah she waits for the store. washington yeah day, so. she, yeah she she shops in uh you know a very like economically conservative way mm-hmm. and when she refuses to buy the mittens for Coraline, you're just like, what a meanie. Like, Coraline's just trying to have some personality, and you're seeing it in the way that Coraline would. Mm-hmm. But then later, you know, they, they uh, Coraline's mom gives her the gift, and she gives her the gift by just, like, tucking it into her bed yeah. and walking away and leaving the room. Like, she's not looking for credit. She's like, yeah. finally, I'm doing the thing for my daughter that I've wanted to this whole time, but we just mm-hmm. couldn't afford to do. And you realize yeah. that a lot of, like, the what reads to Coraline as like negligence or like just like emotional unavailability mm-hmm. is caused by economic stress and it's not just like these dickhead parents that she eventually learns to appreciate for no real reason. <laughs> and I think I think to a certain extent like the, the film pulls very few punches in terms of particularly the mother how stressed out she is about money. There's that moment that I always get ticked off about when um, the father is really stressed out about pitching the gardening catalog to a, a local company. Um, and the mother makes this really snide comment about, oh, don't worry, they're going to love it. Or at least the chapters that I wrote. And it's it's a really kind of mean-spirited little jibe. But at the same time, I think the film does a good job about showing how those little jibes are from a point of precarity mm. and and come from that stress and it shows how it's not just that the parents and the daughter are growing distant because of this financial stress the parents are growing distant from each other as well it's tearing yeah. the family it, apart yeah and you you get the feeling that uh Coraline's primary tension is with her mother her mother seems to be the one who's bearing most of the stress from their life situation when Coraline goes to bug her dad for like hey I'm bored he's he's stressed out too and he's frustrated as well but he at least engages enough to like give her an activity right. and to like try to have a bit of fun and then when you pair that with the other world the primary stress is with or the primary affection comes from the other mother and then he's kind of there in this secondary supportive role where he's not taken mm-hmm. as seriously in the same way that mm-hmm. when it comes to the 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 real world like the most of the stress isn't actually coming from the dad like it's the mom that's the real that's the real source of yeah. it but but I, I think that in terms of what what you said you know there's this stress bet- between the mother and the father that you know maybe he's the kind of guy who'll just like you know what let's just let's just order in pizza like we deserve it we deserve a treat and he's not the one doing the books mm-hmm. he's not right. the one realizing how how much of a compromise they're actually going to have to make to pay for that he's yeah. just right. kind of feelings first and so yeah I mean maybe his you know the way that that presents in a gardening book, for instance, kind of does the same thing, right? I think you get a bit of a sense of that in the fact that, like, when he is in, quote-unquote, his study in the other world, it's a study in the, like, classical Victorian sense of a study where there's a piano and there's Mm. books and it's very much a kind of hobby area rather than his study in the real world, which is his office where he's trying to hammer out as many 
chapters of chapters of this catalog. They call them chapters, but I don't know a catalog that has chapters. But anyway. Um, and it's very stripped down, very utilitarian. Like it's he hasn't purely even unpacked yet. functional. Yeah. And, whereas in the other world, there are these plush, you know, sofas and cushions. And, and he's wearing like a smoking that. jacket. Yeah. And so I think you do get that sense that he's his character is recognizable in the sense of the stuff that he wants to do is play piano is 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 do these kind of frivolous activities um and the stuff that the mother wants to do is reflected in the other world as caring for the child um that's the kind of weird mirror that you end up getting from the other world you know you're right though in that the economic situation it is pretty underplayed. It's not a major focus, even though, you know, after Coraline rescues her parents, the first thing that they tell her when they come back home is that all her financial problems are solved because this has been a successful issue. You know, they like the chapter. They love the issue. And that's when they have time to do things like gardening properly. And um, that's when her mother makes the concession of, okay, so, you know, we will, uh, like, yeah, I guess, Coraline, you're right. I do hate dirt and things like that. That's when she makes all of those concessions Mm -hmm. that you see her earlier just unable to make because she's so stressed out. I think it's underplayed because Carol... Oh, my God, I almost called her Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Coraline. Apparently, that was her name originally. Um, And it was was, was that he was writing another book. Oh, a different book. He was writing a different book, misspelled the name Caroline as Coraline, and then was like... This is a this is a person. This is somebody. I'm sorry that I stole your trivia. No, you okay. look really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm heartbroken. You should see me. But he was um, like, he's yeah. gonna put up a picture of Hoggle and then a picture of me at this moment in the show notes. <laughs> and you have to try to guess which is which. <laughs> um, it's not the one you think. So the <laughs> you just have like cotton coming out of your face for no reason. Um, I think that we as viewers don't really notice it too much because. Coraline wouldn't notice it. Coraline isn't mm. worried about the books. Yeah. Right? She's worried about going off and exploring and falling down a well or whatever the case may be. Um, but she also, like, there's a huge difference, uh, particularly in terms of, like, how like how their house is decorated, right? Mm-hmm. That the real world is a world of, like, it's very stark. It's very bare. It's, you know, we have boxes. We have stuff that we haven't really moved in yet. And, like, Coraline's got, you know, some, like, paper birds hanging off her bed and that's the extent of her decoration as opposed to in the other world Coraline's got this very plush bedroom and Mm -hmm. like there's that have and have not that they don't Mm -hmm. make a big deal out of but in the other world the other mother and the other father can afford to have this 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 amazing world and this fine food Mm -hmm. and you know everything you could possibly imagine like it costs money to get gadgets in your house and exactly. to have a, yeah. a player piano that plays you to have <laughs> an entire turkey for dinner for three people yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah 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 i think it's one of those films that perhaps talks better than it watches like i really enjoy the film but it's more interesting for what it's trying to do than as a sit back and watch a film yeah i mean if you even go to like the imdb trivia for instance which you know i i know better than to do but you know they they talk so much about the work that went into it and like how Mm -hmm. tiny the tools were that some of the (laughs) like craftspeople were using in order to create these tiny miniatures and how many different facial expressions the Coraline doll could make and how they Mm -hmm. filmed it and how they used two cameras to create the 3d illusions and and all of that like that's the real success of this movie yeah is in what it looks like and what they managed to pull off so that's really interesting actually like i i'm all i often think about this in terms of practical effects as well so the one that i always go back to is dracula because it's a really crappy film that i like quite a bit where they did all of the effects in camera for that movie but does it get you anything other than bragging rights i i really don't know if the fact that this was made through puppets gets you anything compared to the kind of 3D modeling that you get with Frozen, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, this was made years before Frozen. Um, they couldn't have done something like that, but they were doing. Um, I mean, Toy Story predates this by uh, over a decade. So do you get more by having actual puppets on a stage that you're taking photographs with other than the fact that this film can be sold as a feat as well as an interesting movie. 
I think that that though becomes a question of why do you make art? Yeah. Right. Like why take the time? Yeah. I mean, if it's, it, it does come down to like why, why you're doing what you're doing. I mean like, yeah, there's like economic factors as to why you would make a movie in the first place in that you want to make money. Like there's yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. But I mean like if you're deciding what kind of movie to make, like if Henry Selick is deciding what the fuck am I going to do with my life? You know, there's there is, I think, something to be said for being like, this is how I make movies. Yeah. And like this animation studio, I think it is it Leica. Uh, yes. Or is this not one of this the Leica? This is Leica. Ones? This was this the first Leica. Leica film, and their most recent one is Kubo. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I do prefer. I haven't seen. What's the other one? Uh, there's Coraline. There's Paranorman, which is amazing. I love Paranorman. I love Paranorman yeah. so much. I haven't seen it yet. It's I've on seen Netflix. the famous opening yeah. sequence, but yeah. I've I, been I, I, I would agree that Paranorman is better than Coraline. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, this is an animation studio that it's just like, it's what they fucking do. Box yeah. Trolls is the other one. Oh, um, I haven't seen that one. I didn't know that was there. They kind of snuck on its radar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, stop motion. And it was just like, it's sometimes you're just like, you're doing a craft to a really high level yeah and i mean when i think about i mean the two movies that always go together for me like dark crystal and labyrinth it's like is labyrinth an amazing movie no is it really fucking cool that someone did all that with puppets Mm. absolutely yeah uh more so with dark crystal do i appreciate like all of the puppetry and everything and just like the all the different crazy things that they managed to pull Mm. off with that but i'm like i'm much happier knowing that those exist and that people are doing these crafts to a high degree of skill yeah like see i would agree with that like i I think that there is a charisma that is added to it when it is stuff that is being manipulated in front of a camera rather than post-production that being said some of the stuff in Coraline was um done on a green screen they added some effects in um but not much of it um kind of the neat thing is what they added out or what they removed yes because they were uh, like they they edited stitches out of the puppets to like oh. make it more less apparent that they were dealing with textiles and and fabric in some cases to make it seem more like a real character particularly when it comes to facial animation i think yeah i think so because there there are kind of scenes that go around every time i watch you know stop motion animation not all the time sometimes i get into the story enough that i forget what i'm watching but every once in a while i go oh how did they do that and you know it kind of it stimulates my mind on that level too and that's part of the entertainment and the enjoyment Mm -hmm. of it. yeah i would agree i think that one of the things that this film gains from being a practical effect is that even more than some of their other films like Paranorman, it is very much talking about practical versus immaterial. So it kind of fits with the theme of the film as well. Like you were talking about craft at the beginning. Um, In a way, the mother and the father are working so hard to build themselves up from very, very little. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in the other world, um, she can just create at a whim. And that is clearly aligned with computer effects when they try to walk away from the world and it starts glitching out um, and she walks into whiteness it has a kind of pixelated quality yeah it's to much it. more yeah. much more digital yeah yeah it is and so they seem to be like really talking about how what they are doing their practical effects and their labor are aligned with the kind of working class poverty if you will of the real world and that digital, they're they're in a way aligning that digital with something they want to distance themselves with, with mm-hmm. the immaterial world um, of the other world. I don't know how much that holds up because I mean, like it's thematically, it seems like what they're saying is that you can't just have it perfect, yeah, right away. Although digital is the opposite of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's digital true. is you can, and I mean, this is a preview of a conversation that you and I are going to have because. Right after recording this, we're going to be recording an episode <laughs> of Liminalia. Yes. But, I mean, if you think about the movie Monsters, which we're going to be talking about, where the director literally made all of the special effects on his computer. Yeah. Himself. Oh. And was very devoted to it. Spent quite a long time doing it. Yeah. Wow. Where, I mean, like, this guy was able to just use basically over-the-counter software to create somewhere between a and b level special effects by himself yeah but i mean Coraline seems to really be saying that like 
taking the easy way is a luxury. Yeah, like, I think it's false uh... to say that the digital way is necessarily the easy way, um, because the amount of time that Gareth Edwards would have had to put into those special effects is crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, when you compare it to doing 20 seconds of filming a week, which was the average output for this film, with 450 people working on the movie at any one time, um, at the height of production, it sure seems easy. Or I can see how it would seem easy to the people who are devoted to the craft of stop-motion animation. And you were kind of talking about where you have narrative and where you have like the visual experience. And again, on brand for you with yeah. your uh, with your podcast being called Liminalia and you like really focusing on <laughs> the, the space between spaces. I think that's sometimes where I struggle with Coraline mm. because sometimes like Nami, you mentioned sometimes you forget that you're watching stop motion animation mm-hmm. and then other times you're kind of like, okay, we're, sl- we're, you know, we're chugging along and then you're like, whoa, like that was amazing. Like how did they do that with puppets? And you're no longer watching a movie. You're watching a puppet show. Yeah. Right. And then something interesting happens plot wise and then you're back and you're like, you're hopping back and forth. It's mm-hmm. not a seamless experience. Yeah, yeah it drives you out of the story quite a while. Seems... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, um, it seems, yeah. Oh, geez. Now I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> it, it, it feels um, like kind of like watching it is watching two films at once because you're consistently, whenever you're brought out of it, you then go back in your mind and go, oh, okay, but that was also a puppet and that was also a puppet. So you end up doing, being on two tracks of mind at once. Um, which is exhausting, I yeah. would say. Yeah, there's a bit of like dissonance going on there for sure. In and trying and to, you can't watch both at the same time. No, yeah. and I think that there's they invite that as well with the odd little detail. Like they're so focused on putting in details into this film, like the fact that every flower in the other garden either speaks to sorrow. There's a bleeding heart vine, or um, predatoriness in some way. There's pitcher plants and snapdragons that attack her like they've got so many details that they're trying to get you to notice that as soon as you do notice it you're driven out of the plot again um and i think to a certain extent like henry selick said because it was a novella he said something to the extent that it would be a short movie um it wouldn't be a full movie if he um had written it the way that it was written in the novel Mm -hmm. and i think some of this comes from the fact that not only is so much time devoted to crafting everything that'll go on the screen, but so much time was devoted to expanding the story, the original story, adding the YB character, for example, that you end up with too much on the screen. You can't pay attention um, to the actual plot in the way that I would argue you can much more in Paranorman, where there's illusions, but they're much more seamlessly knitted into the, or woven into the actual film experience itself and watching it. Yeah, so, I mean, this all branched off from asking whether or not this is worth doing. Like, if you're, if you're holding it up as, you know, like, as a movie mm-hmm. compared to other movies, does it really hold up? I mean, if you look at the, uh, the Academy Awards for that year, not that that's, you know, the, the definitive answer to what the best of anything was in that year, but... I mean, it was nominated for Best Animated Picture, but Up ended up winning Best oh, okay. Animated Picture. And I think, I mean, not necessarily for me. I wasn't as blown away by it as everybody else in the world. But I do think that if you're just saying a better movie, yeah, Up is probably a better movie. Mm-hmm. But Coraline is a really terrific example of whatever it is that it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very, it's a completely fulfilled ambition. I think, mm. um, in a way that up once it gets to the dogs flying around in their doghouse airship gun things is less <laughs> so. I don't know. I didn't like up nearly as much as I think everyone else in my generation. The first five did. minutes of up is the first five minutes of up are stunning. Ugly cry. Worthy. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, both of these movies have amazing openings. Well, amazing openings and also endings or scenes toward the end that have a bunch of dogs. Like oh, yeah. Large, a bunch of creepy dogs. Large masses of Can dogs. Can I just say, just completely off topic, the fact that they gave these dogs not dog teeth, but human teeth, 
really creeped me out. I didn't notice that. What the oh fuck? Oh my gosh. Yeah, go They're back and so watch creepy. it because once you do, you can't unsee it. Yeah, it's so I ruined creepy. it for Nami. Yep. Uh-huh. That's so and these weird. are these are Scotty dogs, adorable dogs, one of my favorite types of dogs, and he totally ruined it for me. Oh, that's it's, brutal. It's bad. Yeah. Oh, so man. I've now ruined it for your entire viewing or <laughs> listening fine. population. I think I've made it clear that I'm not gonna be watching it again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I've uh I've said my piece, I think, so let's wrap this on bitch up the way that we normally do. So two questions. Uh the first of which is whether this movie gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down on your own Netflix profiles. As well, I want to hear an MVP. So uh a standout person, persons me uh, dropping a hint as to what I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, that, that elevates this movie beyond what it would have been without them. So uh, we'll, we'll do the same order. So Tom, go ahead. So I think I've made it pretty clear it's going to get a thumbs up on my profile because I, I genuinely really do enjoy this movie. For me, I'm, I'm torn for the MVP because I think um, Keith David does a really, really good job voicing the cat. Um, I feel like he really nails it, I think. That's true, and it's more range than you normally yeah. expect from Keith David. I think that's probably more casting than acting ability. But... I would agree with that. Um, but um, I think... Um, so Tadahiro Uesugi, who I hope I'm at least coming close to pronouncing that correctly, um, he was the one who did all the concept art, set designs, everything for this film. And Henry Selick brought him in specifically to make it look like it so, so that it wasn't um, a fully uh, Nightmare Before Christmas knockoff film. And I think he did a really good job imagining this, this film and creating um, the color play, the, the designs for it in a way that would be noticeably branded as different from uh, stop motion that's come before. And it's a way that I think Laika has really gone forward with. That's a really good answer. Nami, how about yourself? Thumbs up, thumbs down, and MVP. Definitely thumbs up. Um, I I, th- I think I fall more in the camp of like your wife's tendency, like ability to view a movie and really find entertainment in it just from the um, it, from its aesthetic value. But um, you know, it's interesting. My M- MVP would have been the cat character, so That's not I necessarily. I, I thought know it would be <laughs> that not necessarily the voice actor. I wasn't really thinking about. The, the voice acting work that was going into it, but just the cat as a character. Also, the way that the cat is animated. I, mm-hmm. I really wanted to say something about the cat, but I didn't have something specific to say. But there's something about... Um, I, I felt like having the cat there really reinforced that kind of the double structure of the worlds as well. This thing that can kind of move in and out and all of the... Like, what if all of the... Um, what might have been loose threads of the plot, things like she really likes games at the end. You know, the cat is the one that kind of tips her off or kind of when you're running out of time and you're like, this movie is getting a bit long. Um, the cat is like, hmm, I told you I didn't like rats at the best of times or something like that. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the cat sometimes was there to just be like, oh, whoops, we... We've painted ourselves into a hole. Exactly. Yeah, so let's throw the cat at it. Exactly. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I think I like I like the kind of the cleverness or the craftiness of the they're kinda of like, Oh, we better hurry up and do something here. I like what that um... <laughs> You like narrative shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. When they're animals, yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, there's gotta be there's gotta be a pun on like Deus Ex Machina, but <laughs> cats. <laughs> <laughs> See if it was a dog it could be Deus Rex Machina. Oh yeah. shit! <laughs> yeah, I really like that point about the the movement of the cat. I think you're right; like they really nailed that mm-hmm. more so than most of the other characters in the film, other than the spider. Other mother right. was really well yes. done as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, for me, I am saying thumbs up, but it's like I started off sideways and kind of like leaned it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a twenty degree angle. As for my MVP, I I really just wanted to, in keeping with everything that I've said, that like this movie is a celebration of its own craft in an almost like masturbatory kind of way. I would agree with that. It's almost Tarantino levels. <laughs> <laughs> um, that like just the, the design team. Because mm. I mean, yes, like there's absolutely like the vision of what this looks like and mm-hmm. that's incredible, but like to actually make it work. Yeah. Right. And like to to have the sausage get made is incredible. 
And like, what was the number that you quoted in terms of like? There were at one point four hundred and fifty people working on this film. Right, and I mean, this is kind of me doing the thing without doing the thing and trying to pat myself on the back. But I mean, it's become more of a mainstream understanding in movie making that in a lot of cases people who work on movies don't get credited for them when they're involved in special effects and technical aspects of things Ah. we were talking about bright earlier and that's a perfect example right yeah bright like yeah there was a ton of flack that netflix got because of how that works in a lot of the cases it in a lot of cases it's because this special effects team will it'll be the basically the supervisor gets credited and then all the artists maybe won't get credited or if they end up outsourcing to something else then only the company will be credited and not like the individual artists that work on it largely as a practical thing that if everybody was listed in the credits credits would take 20 minutes Mm -hmm. which is i mean the hollywood defense of it and i nobody is going to sit through that long of credits but it also sucks for the individual artists Mm -hmm. to basically have to get a letter from a supervisor saying like yes this person did actually work on bright or yes this person actually sewed like tiny buttons onto dolls for Coraline (laughs) so uh shout out to the whole team who I can't name individually Mm. so I'm not doing you any favors (laughs) I guess um but yeah that that wraps it up for me is there anything that either of you would like to plug tell the world about um, just that both Nami and I work on a podcast called Liminalia. Um, it's a podcast that is devoted to genre fiction, usually weird, sci-fi, gothic, um, and specifically looking at uh, stories, uh, be they video games, movies, short stories, anything really that doesn't tidally fit into those genres. Um, it's very kind of you to spaces. say, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very kind of you to say spaces. that we both work on this. Like, occasionally you get me to read a paragraph for you. But... Or sometimes you're a guest. Oh, but yeah, right. you also have to put up with me editing all the time. So, <laughs> yes, there you this go. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> Blood and sweat. Blood and sweat. <laughs> In your barren office. Yes. <laughs> he sometimes has to send you away with lists. Go count the windows. <laughs> yeah, now we just, like swings on the door every once in a while um <laughs> but you can find us at uh liminalia cast on twitter um liminalia cast.tumblr.com uh for tumblr or it's a podcast and you can also listen to it on yeah apple podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are found all right well thank you so much for doing this and nami thank you so much for stepping in um i really have been looking forward to speaking to you again i'm glad that this just happened spontaneously yes thank you for providing a warm studio for me to for my toes to thaw (laughs) (laughs) while i'm locked out of my house all right perfect thanks so much to the both of you that's gonna be everything for this episode of the netflix podcast if you like what you heard today head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the netflix content like show notes articles lists and reviews The important stuff that you're going to find on this episode's show notes are those pictures of Hoggle that I mentioned, those horrifying pictures of the deteriorated body of the rotten Muppet from the movie Labyrinth. As well, you'll find links off to the podcast that Tom and Nami mentioned that they both work on, Liminalia. So we've got links to find them on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, uh, as well as their SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all of which are worth a follow. So be sure to check those out. One little, not really a correction, just something that I forgot to say, is that when I was doing my MVPs, I wanted to throw out an honorable mention to Terry Hatcher for the job that she did playing the mother and the other mother, but I totally forgot. And since this is my podcast, I get to record and remind you of stuff that I screwed up on. So yeah, shouts to Terry Hatcher as well. If you want to follow Netflix on social media, we are on a few platforms. We're on Facebook, where you can find us as Netflix. We're on Twitter at Netflix Pod, where you can also find me as Dylan Clark Moore. And we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you like making lists or following movies or seeing what people are watching, you can also creep me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. If you want, you can also support the show. There are a few ways you can do so. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you use and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. You can also drop a friendly rating and maybe a review to let us know what you think. And you can also tell people about what it is that we're doing here. You also have the option of contributing directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. That's a monthly patronage service that allows you to contribute financially to creative types and projects and all sorts of things 
So you can either search for Netflix on patreon.com or you can hit the support Netflix button at the top of our blog once again at netflix.ca. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by yours truly and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast. I've got a special surprise for you. Uh, dear listener, who is the type who's going to listen all the way to the end of a podcast episode, be sure to check out the brand new podcast project from myself and Caroline Deason. We're going to bring the same kind of insight that you're used to from Netflix, and we're going to laser focus it in on one very enigmatic person. We are going to be talking all about the movies of Nicolas Cage. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, we're Rattling the Cage or Facebook.com slash Rattling the Cage Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Rattling Cage Pod. So keep an eye on that because we'll be dropping the premiere episode very soon. Thank you again for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole other movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.